podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. It's me, your favourite, Bahambach. Uh, I hate Christmas. Uh, to be precise, I don't enjoy what has become of Christmas, this um, artificially inflated extracting machine, money machine. Um, I do enjoy my kids getting excited about all the decorations and, uh, and um, celebration lights and whatsoever gifts, but uh, for me it's a bit overinflated, fake and tacky. But enough about Christmas, this is Anxious Blackbird Podcast, I'm Liz Bobka. And in today's episode, we're going to answer questions, to be precise, your questions. So this year I decided to do a Q&A. I was very anxious about the reply. I never done it. I don't have so much following. So I was wondering if anybody's going to be actually willing to send any questions to me or it's going to be a very, very short podcast. Um, luckily, and there's quite a few of you send messages, um, quite a few of you have got uh, multiple questions, so I will try to um, answer them as best as I can. Uh, you have to remember I'm not very eloquent with my speech, so um, I'm kind of more a, a show guy, so i rather demonstrate it on you, the seminar and stuff like that, uh, my concepts and stuff like that. But I will try my best to describe uh, my thoughts about your questions and answer it in detail um, as much as I can and hopefully satisfying you with my answer. Uh, so without further ado, let's start with the first question. Let's start with the first question, and this question is from Tracy. Who has been your most memorable instructor and why? Um, this is a quite tricky one. It's a load of um, instructors who uh, influenced me, but most memorable have to be my um, main teacher, Arthur Marhevka, very um, easy name to say in Poland, um, who basically shaped me uh, to the person who I am now and my karate mostly. He uh, taught me the foundations, um, taught me how to do seminars, uh, taught me the open mind and constant search and improvement of my um, skills, abilities and thought processes. And just installed in me that uh, independence and open-mindedness. Um, so he encouraged us all, as students, um, to search for our karate. Do not copy anybody. Don't be a carbon copy of other people. Always look for your own ways and use thinking instead of copying. He always uh, hated a monkey see, monkey do. Uh, way of teaching I do not agree with with it either um, I think this is one of the first stages that you can use for teaching but uh, I prefer as my teacher did um, straight to thinking and explaining and um, giving a full picture to people instead of just tell them to be quiet and copy me and um, he was just like a iron bar um, whatever you try to do on him didn't work um, we met lots of instructors lots of um, teachers and I never seen that anybody managed to work their techniques on him uh, I think he's, he is a unique person uh, with unique skills uh, I haven't um, come close to meeting another person with that kind of skill uh, I think close to it is um, Paul Enfield, uh, but he's kind of like a opposite side side of the coin. Um, it's very difficult to explain. You would have to train with them um, both. 
uh, my instructor Arthur was um, like the iron bar. I said immovable, um, fast, strong, and rigid, but not in the sense that rigidity we see in karate people that there is no movement and they slow and stiff. And uh, it was very fast, very flexible, very fluid, yet the body made of iron. Um, so when we've been hitting him, it was more painful for us than for him. So, um, yeah, that was my most memorable and always be my most memorable instructor. The second part of the question is, who was my most memorable student? And this is a tricky because I got so many amazing people in a club and I taught so many amazing um, students um, that it's very difficult to to choose one. Um, um, I was gonna I was gonna reply this. It's gonna be a group of students, so it's my mental health project. Uh, people with various disabilities. Uh, it's just um, amazing to see what what they can do, how they progress, and what they can achieve. And with so much um, things thrown in their way that they have to overcome, they are always in the sessions if they can. Um, they're training hard with the full commitment to it. And it's just, you know, seeing what they're going through, it always puts a perspective on my life when I feel like I got something to whinge about it and I go to the class and see what other people are struggling with, what they have to go through. Uh, it just makes, puts my life in perspective and actually cures me very quickly from um, whinging, complaining and feeling sorry for myself because I have to say I'm very fortunate with, everything what they've got and but yeah those students who overcoming uh, huge obstacles um are in my memory the most um you know it's just um, amazing to see what they can co come to what they can do and what they can achieve against all odds it's just um hard growing that you know people actually can be bothered to do martial arts with conditions um, like MS, deafness, um, and anxiety, uh, depression, and and you know a lot of other other host of um, illnesses and problems, uh, and they they just train, they focus on training, and achieving things that they never thought they would be possible to do. And the third part of that um, question is um, memorable, my most memorable uh, training partner. So I'd have to be uh, my ex-best friend on the personal reasons. Um, we had the departure. Uh, it's always about the woman. Um, unfortunately, that that what happened. Um, it was my uh, from my first dojo, uh, my friend at the time, um, who um, achieved multiple uh, world titles uh, in full contact karate. We've been training together for years. Um, much bigger guy than I am, much stronger guy than I am, uh, much more technical guy than I am, and. Um, it was always great to, to spar with him. Um, lots of uh, lessons learned from then, from sparring with him. Um, he was uh, training much longer than I did. Um, immense power, both physically and mentally. Um, when he set up a goal of doing something, he was executing it uh, flawlessly. And, and that's why he is a world champion um, multiple times. Um, but it was a great lesson to, to train with him and, you know, um, I'm proud to say that uh, I give him run for money. Um, we've been completely two different weight categories. Um, I'm much weaker mentally, so I'm not kind of a um, 
competition guy. I always um, fight during competitions. If I win one fight, I'm very satisfied with it. And, and my uh, will to fight disappears, um, at least at that time did. Um, he was completely opposite, so he was inspiring. And just um, technically, because of him, my techniques was going up because it was kind of a healthy competition between between us during the karate. He's got a bit better um, genetics for kicking and stuff like that. But, you know, because he was so good technically, he, he was dragging, I was dragging, dragging me along with that technical skills. So I was improving my stuff as well. But, you know, we spent a lot of good times um, outside of the dojo as well. We've done lots of things, you know, um, as young people do, lots of partying. Um, and it's a shame that uh, it all came to the end um, because of uh, unfortunate um, love to the same girl. But hey, ho, that's a different set of questions. Um, uh, but, you know, he's doing very well. Still, he's doing went to more traditional stuff, and um, he's the leading um, technician there, and he's taking care of um, them doing a sparrings and testing their stuff. So I wish him all the all the best in that role, and I'm um, I'm sure he's gonna be doing great. But yeah, that was my uh, most memorable memorable um, training partner. Um, I wish I. Uh, done more with him and actually went to the same competitions maybe I could say I've got some titles as well but um, I was in different organization at that time um, and uh, yeah our roads went separate ways right, another question another triple question actually is four or five questions from Raquel uh, how many hours do you dedicate to karate thoughts <laughs> that's a that's an interesting one uh, not as much as I used to. I used to think 99.9% of the time about karate. That's why I've been failing schools and um, other activities because I was totally committed to karate. I wanted to learn everything from terminology to training methods to techniques uh, in every detail, you know, every different setup of the fingers I had to knew the name and, and stuff like that and techniques going from my head scenarios and stuff like that and luckily I'm cured from that uh, approach and now um, I spend maybe 20-30% of my time, think, time thinking um, if I'm not getting ready for a session right if I uh, uh, do programming and stuff that's 100% of my time dedicated to do that uh, I managed to uh, now separate it, so when I'm doing something, I'm trying to focusing on that thing and try to not think about other things. But if I've got the time when I don't have to think about other things, my mind always um, goes back to karate and um, how to improve it, how to um, train better. And as we know, there are studies um, showing that actually going through uh, techniques and technical aspects in your head translates to the body motion and stuff like that so you can do a efficient training outside of um, dojo and without using your body you can train with mind I do a lot of visualization as well especially before events um, that helps me a lot so about 30-40% of my time is dedicated to thinking about karate <laughs> Second question is, do you dream about karate? Um, I don't dream very often. Um, uh, or maybe I dream, but I don't don't um, remember it. About karate is not, but I dream a lot of other strange things. Um, my wife always laughs at me because um, I can get up um, at night and remove all the pictures hanging in our room just to make it safe because I dreamt that... Um, something was dropping them down or they'd been just dropping down um i often since we've got children wake up thinking that they fell over or something like that off the bed fell out of the bed <clears throat> so i'm going around and checking uh i uh the my m most famous one is that i woke up and uh decided to w wake up my wife um 
telling her about four o'clock at night that she needs to go to work because somebody's stole the time. So there's no time, so she needs to immediately go to work. Um, which she replied, um, shut up and get back to sleep. Nobody's stolen the time, it's still there. So no, karate, I don't dream about karate uh, very often. And uh, yeah, well, lots of other shit, yes, I do. Um, another question, same from Raquel. Do you find it easy to interpret kata moves? And how do you work out their meaning and how to apply the moves? Um, so, uh, so I'm, I, I've got my uh, rule of three. So I look at the old technique and think uh, what it can do. Can it be a strike? Can it be a joint lock or can it be a throw or um, of balance? And from there, I take it and decipher um, what I can do with it, going move by move um, in kata. Uh, I've got the skill um, of seeing the movements and feeling. So when I learn, I learn really badly from uh, description. Uh, I, reading about stuff doesn't really do the decent job for me. It's helpful, but um, um, I have to see it and feel it. I When I feel it, I, I do the best, I learn the best. So when I try to figure out the moves from kata that works for me, because you, we have to um, uh, get that... Uh, not independence, but... Um, oh, I just lost the word. Um, everybody is different, right? So we need to have that... Uh, specific skills for everybody everybody's different everybody moves differently so i try to first find the way for me and um, go through the movements um, see how it works test and then decide if i like it or not right so a lot of things that uh, my students don't see uh, is that usually with gary or somebody higher grade we're going through and um, trying stuff and then we've got to view it, if this working, is not working. Uh, also as well, I, we've done a lot of testing with my teacher and, and there are sets of things which I learned from him and then improved uh, more suitable to to my build and my own thinking, my own moving. And as well, you know, a lot of things gave me uh, from encountering wrestling. Uh, so wrestling improved uh, my way of doing applications and moving the way I want to and the way which makes my more sense in my head with um, applications. So I firmly believe that the, the karate is a more of a grappling system with strikes um, than purely striking kicking system. And um, yeah, I just kind of see, you know, <clears throat> when the move move goes in i see it in my head um how it will work where would be the mechanical advantage and stuff like that maybe because i love uh, anatomy so i uh, spend a lot of time uh, studying uh, physiology and anatomy uh, and i know how body is moving around i've got a quite a good good awareness of my own body and how it works so I can have a look on my own limbs and stuff and how I would work with that technique, what would do to me, how would be making me feel, where I would be my weaknesses and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, thinking about it, then trying it, testing it, testing it again, under pressure and uh, start applying it, teaching it and constantly changing. So that's the one thing which people um, say that uh, I show something and then next time is a little bit different or completely different because I don't have attachment to techniques. It's whatever a situation dictates, that's what we do, right? It's uh, some um, base movements, but the, the application is whatever comes in that moment. So, you know, my bunkers are um, variables and changing a lot. And one more question from Raquel. Uh, how did you develop the confidence to teach? This is a quite interesting one because um, I did not have a cho choice. So I was uh, uh, quite young. I was yellow belt. 
and our dojo fell apart. Uh, my teacher said that um, he's not going to be teaching. I couldn't find any other school that I enjoyed. And um, so he said, well, if you want me to teach, you have to uh, find students who will want to teach and um, need to prove to me that um, it's worth my time. So that's what I did. I uh, hired a whole, uh, done an instructor's qualification, a, um, and collected a few friends. We started training. Um, I taught what I could, what I knew. By the time I was training, about four years. So we could do basics and stuff like that and um, start teaching uh, with lots of struggles, a lot of anxiety. But that first for uh, training with my teacher and that knowledge uh, was stronger than my uh, fears and anxieties. And um, yeah, so I had to start teaching. And my teacher decided that it was good enough. So he started teaching with me. And then I got involved in wrestling. And um, a wrestling coach gave me guide guidance. Uh, I was watching him, how he's teaching. Um, he allowed me to teach a um, few times. Then he introduced me to coaching in wrestling and offered me um, a job as a support coach for wrestlers, uh, for the group of um, young people. So I done that. Um, but, you know, it's always a fear. Uh, it's still, if, if I'm teaching now, I've got some, some anxiety you know, sometimes things don't work like you want. <clears throat> somebody challenges you, somebody tries to prove you wrong. So it's, um, I enjoy it, but it's, it's not uh, an anxiety-free, at least for me. Um, I still feel a bit um, like a fraudster. Um, you know, I've got that uh, fear that I'm not as good as people say, uh, as I'm going to disappoint people. And, um, yeah, but, you know, seminars, with each seminar you're getting more comfortable. Um, the head-on collision uh, with challenges um, makes you a bit bulletproof. So more I teach, the more I uh, enjoy it. And I think, naturally, I'm driven to, to coaching and stuff like that and enjoy that. And um, it seems to be that people enjoy me teaching. So... You know, you've got that feed, good feedback from people saying that, yeah, actually, we want to be on your class, we want to come to your class, we want to come to your seminars, um, we want to watch your stuff, we want to listen to you. It it makes uh, makes it easier, and uh, the rewards are bigger than the negatives. So, um, yeah, you're praising me, guys, so I'm teaching. If you're going to start saying it's all crap, I stop. Um but sometimes, you know, it's difficult. You, you build up something like um, in my life. I don't know if it's cast from my teacher, I think, because his dojo's always been building up then collapsing, building up, collapsing. And I've got the same with mine. Usually every, every few years, my uh, dojo collapses and I have to put a lot of effort in teaching and building it up, which seems to be happening now a little bit that we've got a bigger dropout than people coming in. So, but I'm kind of used to it. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, that's that's why I'm teaching. I just been forced to do it, and I happen to I'm enjoying it. Um, but you know, I don't force other people to teach. We've got few students who are higher rankings, but they don't enjoy coaching and teaching, and I don't see why should I uh, force them. I see a lot of schools where they enforcing that you know you pass the. Uh, black belt you must teach you must produce so many black belts blah 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 uh, I don't do that uh, it is very individual stuff and and those who want to coach I'd have to come out from them like it's coming from me I like um, finding new ways of teaching and studying the methodology and um, experimenting and stuff so I do enjoy it and um, that's why I'm doing it and I think I'm going to be doing it because it doesn't seem like I um, can do much other things. Question from my friend uh, PJ Broomy from Australia. What advice would you give to someone thinking of sharing their thoughts training? 
when this seems to be a foolproof way to point a paint a target on your back. Trolls and bullies seems to come out of the woodwork in the karate world when someone dares share something other than the norm. I would say go for it. Um, I do that. There's lots of people coming and uh, telling me how wrong I am, what a kind of idiot I am and uh, stuff like that. It just gives me a uh, <clears throat> more content. Uh, like, I, like I said in a previous podcast, um, just don't take it personally. People are, we call it a, a concrete brain. So it doesn't matter what you're going to tell them, they will never change their mind. You can present all the evidence and they will not change their mind because they've got their own view and concrete mind. I would say um, don't worry about them um, and post stuff. I think, um, I can't remember who said that, but I've seen it online and I love the, 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 the way of thinking. It's got only three types of people who are um, watching your content. People who care, <clears throat> people who hate you and people who don't care. So we focus on those who care, right? It's three demographics and um, three types of people. You focus on those who are supporting you, uh, enjoy your content and trolls and stuff. Um, let them talk, be kind to them. Don't take it personally, have a thick skin and do your stuff, right? A lot of people getting upset with me uh, recently <clears throat> because I unfollow everybody. I don't follow people. Um, I only see some things on on the Facebook or whatever, YouTube or whatever algorithm throw it throws at me. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I just leave it alone. I don't comment badly on people. I don't uh, badmouth people. If I've got a problem, I say it straight as it is. But you will have a negative comments. Doesn't matter what you're gonna do. Um, and my my way of dealing with it is by kindness, offering help, um, welcoming them to my club for a mental health problem uh, project, uh, and um, yeah, just that. So do what you do, enjoy, don't take any notice of uh, fools and uh, trolls. They're always going to be there, doesn't matter what you're going to do, they're always going to be there trying to make you feel bad and more you feel bad the more they thrive and then um, you're just feeling worse and they feel happy so be kind to them always be polite don't get emotional um, they are your most loyal fans and people who hate you will watch all your videos all your content just to point out um, that you're doing something wrong and to be honest it's good for a algorithms more people watching more views you get more listens you got more read reads you got so do your good stuff don't worry about those focus on those people who um, compliment you or just don't leave comments at all that's the different way of people people doing it um, but yeah I just I'm kind to people and I do my stuff. I know that most of the people don't like it, but yet you guys commenting and sending me messages and um, uh, questions. So I appreciate your involvement and I'm focusing on those who actually are interested, and that's what makes me happy. So next question is from Charlie. Uh, when you were early in your martial arts journey, you strive to emulate kata performance, as it's been taught by your sensei. At what point would you encourage, expect your students to stop emulating your performance and instead own the kata and perform it their way? What consideration would you make or should your student make in that process? So, uh, for me, it's, a, it's very individual. That was the word what I was missing from previous question, individual. Um, it depends on the student. Um, how do they uh, process the kata? I've got two students currently who just kata is not their thing. They can't remember it. Their body doesn't want to remember it. Um, they're trying really hard. 
but it just doesn't sink in. Some kata comes in, the other katas don't come in. Um, we are all different, so there'll be always differences in, in expressing the kata. We can follow the same pattern, but the expression of it is going to be different because uh, somebody got the longer arms than the other ones. But to take the ownership, I call it ownership of the kata, I start encouraged from about the uh, fifth cue. I'm asking people to start putting their um, influence into the kata. But the way we do things is that <clears throat> the fifth cue, you should know all the five pinans, but you're choosing only one um, from that kata series and you focus on it. So you got the knowledge and, and bunkais and stuff um, kind of um, medium le medium level and then you start choosing um, the one which you specialize in and the one which you like the most and by the time you are a first second done you do only three katas you should know the other ones but you specialize in three katas one of them might be pinan or sometimes we disregard pinans as well um, but definitely by the first done you should be able to demonstrate that it's your kata and it's not a carbon copy of your teacher um, I'm finding that very difficult with people who come from different styles um, I see that people who train with me from scratch have easier time with this maybe because we're starting with applications so they know what they do and they see how the body works and what they can pull off um, and what they cannot and that changes the technical aspect of kata a lot uh, so maybe my katas and my students katas are not so crisp but uh, most of them uh, know techniques some cannot put the techniques into the kata and vice versa but the execution of a kata definitely changes and differs between students and students but the, the conscious thinking about putting their own way of doing the kata they own stylistic i would say i don't know if that's correct in english um, but their own style into it their own expression their own movements and energy into it from about the green belt fifth cue and definitely from the first down uh, I expect them to have their own um, version if you can say that of the kata and not copying me plus we do have a three levels of the most of the kata especially the advanced katas um, where the moves changing a lot uh, I get, get a lot of grief for that um, Oh, you're changing your kata it's not right it's stuff like that um, but the way i was taught is that uh, when you start owning the kata kata is for you and not you for kata so whatever my body tells me that it would fit in between the moves i'm happy to to put and um, i think we're gonna do that on the uh, uh, next seminar with don sensei don about my hanshi because we've got three levels of my hanshi and there's this different aspects of it and um, different body dynamics and different body uh, movements. So there are uh, micro adjustments in between techniques and uh, things that we can utilize in uh, applications, but not necessarily seen in the kata. But in short, fifth cue and then big step uh, first done. Um, I hope that's uh, gonna um, answer your question, uh, Charlie. Um, if not, just let me know and I'm gonna try to do more elaborate on it. Um, next question is from Colin. Uh, and is, why don't you do line work? Um, so Colin is my student and he came from different um, karate club where they've been doing a lot of line line work, kihon, and uh, working on the technical aspect. Um, so there are better ways of training than standing and kicking in and mixing the air, as I call it. Um, we know now that kicking in the air is not very good for your joints. Punching in the air is not very good in your joints, especially if you do it very powerfully. So one of the reasons why I don't do it is 
um, just prevention of uh, injuries. It's better to do 100 kicks in a shield or in a partner than doing 1000 kicks in the air. Yes, you've got the CRISPR technique and, and it looks better, but it just that's why so many people have got a destroyed knees, hips, elbows um, from karate. It's just that that's the methodology of training from the 70s. It's far better to do movements like in kata or in shadow boxing. When you're controlling it, there's no full power and overextending the limbs. Uh, the other thing is that it's, it's just not enough time. We're training twice a week for hour and a half. There's no enough time to spend to uh, mixing air. You can do much more uh, efficient training with partner, pads, kicks, shields and stuff like that. So plus our grading and our uh, syllabus is um, based on kata. So every grade has own kata. So doing kata, you're doing kihon, you do line work in there. Um, so there's no point doing twice the same thing. And um, I'm just more hands-on person. We prefer to, I prefer to teach in pair because it's more natural. Uh, people have a better imagination how they can use and utilize techniques. And um, we can explain on parts how, how the technical aspects of it comes. Um, it's nice, nice. It's easy, easy way of teaching for a teacher, right? You've got a 20 people doing exactly the same things. So you walk around, you look, you correct. It's, it's much uh, more engaging and difficult to teach people in pairs when they're moving and uh, interacting with it. But the benefit of that is that then when they go to sparring, they are in their element. They know how people move, how people wander around and what's going to happen and, you know, how the body reacts instead of trying to imagine it from the punching air and wandering around um, in three steps forward, three steps back in a very rigid positions. It is nice to, to work on positioning and stuff like that, but it, it can be done with a partner and makes more sense for me. Um, because um, it's easily transferable to grappling, sparring, fighting, and whatever you want. Uh, question and question from Gary. Um, and will be most students favor one side to lead with or hook punch, maybe kick with. Would they benefit to change sides in training and sparring? And how would they get the best out of their least dominant side? Um, so there's uh, two schools of thought on this one. Uh, boxing is uh, focusing on one dominant side. I think kickboxing and Muay Thai is pretty much the same. And I do like way of tra that training that you've got the one hand which is a finisher and the other one which is just a distra distraction during the sparrings. Um, although... I see benefits of doing of both sides and uh, be able to switch and fight from whichever stance you want. Uh, it works for me. That's how I was taught. We've always been sparring on both sides and always been working on both sides. So you've been always doing 10 on that side, 10 on the other side. And uh, it seems to be working for me. But as again, I think it's individual preferences. Um, what I see is the problem is that we still students coming to my dojo from different um, dojos are being forced to switch sides so they are left-handed and uh, being taught to fight like a right-handed which causes uh, under pressure their body wants to do opposite stance and they're forcing stance so uh, we've got few students that has that problem, so are they left-handed? So they're putting their right hand forward because left one is dominant, but they're putting a left foot forward because that's what the stance has been ingrained in them. Uh, so that's causing total havoc in their um, fighting. Um, but, you know, it's, it's individual preferences. I teach both sides. I think that it's beneficial for a coordination and um, 
you know equal development of the body uh, musculature and uh, aesthetics uh, and it helps with um, less injuries if you do everything one-sided uh, you're creating habits and shortening lengthening of muscles and that can cause problems and that's why we've got so many boxes having uh, problems with the protracted um, shoulders um, right hands um, overuse or left hand overuse depending which side you're going to do imbalances in the legs because they always have that left foot left foot forward and um yeah and as well in wrestling is everything is changes right you you're opportunistic and whichever side is ready that's why what you use and i prefer that way and then how to get better in it well practice like everything practice you change sides you work a bit harder on the other one um, but with time it just all all kind of goes to equilibrium and uh, I don't have a problem switching between the two although um, I prefer um, being in a regular stance so left foot forward right foot back but uh, I'm very comfortable switching between and I think you guys um, guys from my club as well um, are quite okay with it as well um, you always have a fair favorable uh, position and and stance inside and that's okay uh, it's just you know nice to have a um, aesthetic body uh, and abilities in both and it's a good challenge for a mind right the simple thing is you know move for one hand forward other one back it just gives you some challenge for your brain as well and as we're not 100% uh, focused on fighting but we working in my club on uh, health and health benefits why not um, put that in there as well and have a, a brain development workout plus coordination plus control over uh, all your body parts and um, yeah i think that's that's a good way to do in it and uh, that's my style of teaching of using both sides um, equally Next question is from Danny, and Danny is asking, what's your number one strict rule in karate? My number one strict rule in karate is don't get stressed. Um, and I do that to all the people who come to my class. Um, I welcome them and then say that uh, we do have a one very strict rule in this dojo. And everybody's getting a bit panicky and what's that is, what that is, what that is. And I say, yeah, don't get stressed. There's nothing you can do wrong, uh, sort of. You know, it's if you give your best and you try, it doesn't matter if you fail, um, you can't do something, you don't understand, you're asking questions. Uh, that's all welcome. The main thing is to don't get as stressed with yourself. Don't blame yourself and don't hang on that mistake. We all do mistakes and I think we all overthink them uh, so it's very important for me in my classes that people um, let go of those mistakes and don't torment themselves and don't get stressed and more relaxed we are the better we learn so I think that's um, that's the one major role I've got in my my class and that's which I um, really stick to it you know I, I hope that most of my students are not getting stressed with me i'm sure that there is a stress on the first few sessions but i hope that my, pers my personality and our team our uh, students um, make people feel at ease and there is no problem with getting stressed after two three sessions and the last but not least question is from michael from netherlands um, what tips do you have for karate instructors who want to start a group with elderly practitioners how would you sell karate or taiso to a public that is basically unfamiliar with it? Uh, so what I do, it is a couple of ways you can do. Um, I uh, decided to go and um, create my own group. It will happen that I had lots of um, friends in a seniors group and we give it a go. Uh, this is the longest running session for me with karate as a meditation and it's now nearly seven years and we are about 20 strong and there are people constantly coming in going out but the core group is the same 
So I just went and done it. We do uh, advertising. Uh, I, I teach in the area, we chose in the area where there is most of the uh, seniors. So whole neighborhood is um, seniors uh, in that age group who are looking for uh, activities. And um, we distribute leaflets, um, Facebooks and stuff like that. And uh, most of them, to be honest, coming from the uh, recommendations. The other way I use as well, which is starting to be successful now after three years of um, knocking at the door, emailing and stuff like that, um, it just takes time. Uh, working with organizations, so I've got the Karate for Mental Health with Oak Leaf. I've got a, a meditation group with The Hive, which is uh, run by the council. So I offered a tester sessions um, with six weeks program. Uh, we done that, um, then the feedback comes in and um, they decided they want me to be nearly permanently there. So till March I'm booked and then possibly have an extension of the contract. Um, so for me, it is, you know, how I promote it, just the benefits of it. You know, we all know that uh, movement helps uh, mental health, helps body, you know, moving joints are less seize up joints. So you can um, you show what benefits the students gonna have um, to the particular groups. You need to find the pockets of the groups that actually have got the community around it. So like church has got a big community of people with the uh, kind of advanced age. Um, here in UK we've got a um, day centers which offer a snacks and activities and lunches and care uh, to those people who are funded by a council this is one which i managed to get into it and um yeah you just need to show what uh, what benefits the people gonna have and it's not just benefits of training so like i said joint mobility strength um prevention of osteoporosis for elderly and especially women uh, meditation, relaxation of the uh, mind, and as well as a social um, activity. So, you know, people getting in groups, we have a tea and coffee after, and people create a social group that they can exchange, chat, and they don't feel lonely because, in I don't know why it's how it's in other countries, but in UK, elderly are left behind. Um, so, families moving out everybody creating their own families there's no time for elderly and they're kind of living independently isolated from the family because family goes for holidays or whatever seeing them once a week so we're providing um, putting those people together so they've got a kind of a group of support they start chatting they're creating tight com community so this is one of the uh, key selling points for me that we're not only doing a martial art or activity but we also do a social um gathering or you know activity and um, now in uk the mental health is kind of um starting to be something sought out and um yeah you can tap into that um saying that you know there's a huge benefits proven benefits of people having a support group non-judgmental group um, to the mental health plus physical activity is great and you know people like in my lounge uh, where I teach um, they have much not much to do so having an hour with a structured activity where they can do something it just makes the day more interesting so if you combine all that into the advertising or proposal to to the um, organization or group you want to target and I, what I like to do, I do about two free sessions for free so they can try it. Then we gather feedback and people can decide if they like it or not. Um, usually I'm in and I'm staying there. That means that um, the activity they like uh, is beneficial for them. Um, also, you know, I, I try to support that um, given organization. So... For example, in a hive, um, I'm teaching there, they pay me money, but I'm renting from them on different occasions for seminars and stuff like that. So I kind of drive money in and I always um, make sure that um, managers know that. 
because it's very important that you know um they supporting me i'm supporting them and then we kind of um doing creating a win-win situation so it's actually a triple win situation so the their uh clients got activity to do they're feeling appreciated they're feeling great um I am paid, so I'm I'm winning. I do something which is um, valuable to the society. I'm giving back to the society, and I'm well paid for it. That I can provide for my family and um, pay the bills. But because I'm hiring from them, the center gets money back in, and they they've got the win because really recycle the money and it's back to them. So you have to portray it that. Uh, or say the truth that um, there's win-win situation for everybody and there's benefit for community. I think that that is a big selling point that um, it is working for a community and council gonna benefit or organization benefit pro benefit from providing that activity. And then um, the students got a good time, and you got a good time, and you've got a something more that you can offer within your club so you're covering more um uh, different social groups so you've got children adults and elderly doing uh different activities but you can show and demonstrate that you know you are versatile and knowledgeable and building up your um club and presence in that community so i hope that's um kind of what you've been looking for uh, if you want some more, uh, drop me an email and then um, I can show you how I apply for grants and stuff like that and works in UK. I'm not sure how it's going to be working in different countries, but I presume it's similar. But yeah, so that's all the questions. Uh, thank you very much for uh, your questions and uh, your time that you actually took time from your day and um, give me some questions it makes this uh, podcast a bit longer than I um, estimated I thought it's going to be about two minutes me talking to myself and trying to make up any questions but um, thank you very much to all that um, contributed to it I hope it's valuable I hope you guys um, enjoy it and I wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, I hope you're going to have a great family time with your loved ones and um, you're going to have a great and new year celebrations although we're gonna have one more podcast before new year so this is not the last one with james hatch um touching some very interesting topics and very sensitive topics i think um so i hope there's gonna be more trolls coming out from the woodwork and um we can have more funny posts around it and more content recorded so again thank you very much Merry Christmas to everybody.